Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. The Sunshine Double is officially behind us. The clay court season is ahead of us. And on this week's MMA, I'd like to look at the big picture and talk about some big trends. I'm not going to delve deep into any particular match that we saw in Miami. Instead, I want to talk about the tour where touch on everyone in the big three, touch on the next gen FAA and Chapovalov with really big weeks in Miami. And then uh, some some comments that are really, really, really good that I can't wait to get to towards the end of the show. Roger Federer just won title number 101, his biggest title since his Aussie Open title at, in the uh, beginning of 2018. Did I say Aussie Open title uh, that he won? I feel like I might have said something else. Uh, but it's it's his biggest title in over 12 months. Uh, and the way he did it was incredibly impressive and makes you kind of it, – it, it poses the question, how good is Roger Federer right now despite getting upset at this year's Aussie Open to Stefanos Tsitsipas uh, because he absolutely destroyed Daniil Medvedev, killed Kevin Anderson, easily dispatched Denis Shapovalov. And then cruised by John Isner. So I just, you know, I, 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 I'm showing off all the verbs in my arsenal as to say that Roger Federer barely had to break a sweat and pretty much obliterated everyone in his path after the first round against Albot and then even Krajinovic. There were some times in that match where things looked a little bit close. But all in all, I mean, he had this, this upward crescendo and... He really peaked towards the end of this tournament in a way that we see more often from like Novak Djokovic. And too often, we see Roger Federer kind of struggling through the first or, or cruising through the first couple rounds kind of easily. And Nadal and Djokovic have a little bit tougher times with their first round opponents. But then by the end of the tournaments, especially majors, a lot of the time it's flipped and Federer's playing long, difficult matches and possibly losing. And, and Djokovic and Nadal are getting better as the tournaments are going on. I don't know if you guys agree with that, and I don't have any real evidence to back that up. But sometimes I feel like Federer is going the wrong way as the tournament progresses. And um, Djokovic and Nadal are going the right way in an upward trajectory as tournaments progress. This was an, an, a prime example of Federer just getting better and better and better and better throughout the two weeks. Um, so it begs the question, 
How good is Roger Federer right now? Um, he's number one in the ATP race to London, and the tennis he played in Miami was was so sharp. And he again he he made the final of Indian Wells. He won Dubai. He looked so strong at Hopman Cup. So there was just that one blip was was Melbourne uh, for the most part. And sure, there were some red flags in the match against Dominic Team. He should have won that match uh, and wasted some opportunities. But all in all, if you look at this year as a whole, once again, Roger Federer's been, if not, I mean, for most of the year, he's been the best player. Now, for two weeks of the year, the best player was Novak Djokovic, the most important two weeks of the year. But still, Federer has been impeccable. And the level that he just showed is a level that makes you wonder, well, what if Wimbledon was tomorrow? Is Federer the favorite over Djokovic? So so I just want to, let's dive into where we're at with Roger Federer. And I want to approach this from uh, kind of a point of skepticism. Because I think that there, there needs to be some skepticism based on one of the major concerns that has arisen with Roger Federer. And that is that he has tended to fade and break down as the years as the year progresses and that was true that's been true in the last two seasons even in 2017 which was really a a miracle season for Roger Federer where he won two majors where from the Australian Open to Wimbledon he was virtually unbeatable even that season, he had an easy path in Toronto to the final and then lost to Sasha Zverev in the final, which would have been fine if he had a good showing at the U.S. Open, but he lost to Juan Martin Del Potro, who wasn't really even back to his full powers yet, dare I say, um, in what I think was the round of 16. So even in 2017, when Federer looked so great physically, an argument can be made that he faded. Had some good tournaments on indoor hard courts after the U.S. Open. He also he did lose to David Gaffan, so didn't win the ATP Finals that season either. I mean, the reality is the second half of that season was way worse than the first half. Now let's take last year. A season that was pretty good, especially given Roger Federer's age, but still left a little bit to be desired, especially when it comes to the Grand Slams after he won the Australian Open when he beat Marin Cilic in 2018. He had a really good showing. Um, he won a tournament before Indian Wells. Did, did he win? Was it Dubai again? Let me check real quick. Roger Federer was once again in 2018 number one in the race to London after the Sunshine Double. That's even at, even though he was upset by Tanasi Kaknakis in the first round of Miami. So if you look back on the season in 2018, won the Australian Open, he won Rotterdam. So I, I knew it wasn't Dubai. He won Rotterdam. Then he lost to Del Potro in the finals of Indian Wells. Then he was upset in Miami, but still number one. And now you fast forward to this season, 2019, and Federer is once again number one in the ATP race to London. I think that the reason you need to take a step back and you can't make conclusions about how Roger Federer's year is going to ultimately 
be remembered is because I think that there is this major concern that Federer wears down, that Federer is having that has trouble enduring the 10-month season at his age. And that's the one area where I think his age has mostly shown more than anything else. I don't think he's lost that much quickness around the court. I don't think he's lost that much endurance in as far as a single match is concerned. I don't think he's lost the ability to defend on the tennis court. I don't think he's lost the ability to focus throughout matches. Perhaps his nerves have gotten a bit worse. But the biggest problem that, or the biggest decline that we've seen, the biggest effect that Roger Federer's age has had on him is his ability to stay physically um, in a good place throughout the entire season. And that's why the man who won five U.S. Opens in a row has not won a U.S. Open since. His last U.S. Open was 2008. I mean, this that's been a troublesome major for him. And guess what? That's a fast hard court. Or, or, well, it was. Now it's not. Now it's not anymore. It was, for a while, a fast hard court. Now it's really slow. Um, so, for a bunch of years there, Federer's um, troubles at the U.S. Open were kind of inexplicable. But I think the explanation is that Federer has faded. All right. That's what I want to say. Um, I think that Clay is, I think he's going to, when it comes to the Clay court season, Roger Federer, I think he's going to beat a lot of players. I don't think he's going to win the big matches um, on Clay. I think there there's a little bit too much to overcome for him. And I think the, the surface just takes a little bit too much away from his game where I think he can have a really good season. I just don't see him beating your Djokovic, Nadal, possibly even informed Dominic team um, at Roland Garros or, you know, in a Masters final. I don't see him winning big matches. Let's see what happens. We'll get into more tactically, I'm sure, what what happens and, and how Federer is playing on the clay um, when when we get to see him. And boy, I'm excited for it. Transition now to Novak Djokovic. After the Australian Open, things looked pretty clear-cut. Djokovic is going to be the favorite every single tournament he enters. He is the clear best player in the world. There will be very little that's going to stop him. And then all of a sudden, over the last two weeks, no, the last month, because both tournaments are two weeks, uh, Djokovic has shown major vulnerability. He lost to Philip Kohlschreiber, and um, he lost once again for the second time this season to RBA Roberto Bautista Agut. And both matches looked pretty similar. I think he played better against RBA than he did against Kohlschreiber. He had his chances against RBA. He squandered some opportunities, really could have won that match. Uh, but he did not look good in either. His demeanor wasn't good. He didn't appear to have full motivation, full focus. He didn't have the eye of the tiger. He didn't have the killer instinct. I mean, the, the way he took the court against Rafa Nadal in the Australian Open final, the, the, the total focused determination in Novak Djokovic's eyes and 
you know, that that killer was not the same killer on the court uh, in these two matches that he lost over the last two weeks. I keep saying two weeks. Over the last month. <laughs> um, his fitness didn't look good. He looked out of breath. He looked kind of sick. And I wasn't really sure why. But he looked quite unprepared. Quite unprepared. He wasn't able to hit through the court. He wasn't precise. He didn't have timing. But, you know, the biggest, the biggest number one issue was he looked a little bit out of shape. He looked pretty winded. He looked pretty tired. And as a result, he looked pretty dejected. And it was like, what is going on here? Why does no why why is Djokovic why does Djokovic look this way? What I want to do is play a clip from his post-match press conference because the conclusions that I've began begun to draw about Djokovic and what's happened at Indian Wells and Miami are conclusions that I would never ever draw without hearing this. Take a listen how you prepare for these two tournaments did you did you prepare differently this year than other years or and how did you prepare um no i mean it just just had you know uh way too many things off the court and uh, i guess that affected me a little bit on the court i didn't feel my best health wise as well in indian wells and and here you know still rusty but hey look you know you you learn that's that's life <clears throat> okay, so I don't know if that cut out or, or what, but um, he was asked earlier in the press conference, or, or he said earlier in the press conference that it's not the first time that he's lost early at Indian Wells and Miami and that it happened last year and he needs to change his preparation. And then a reporter asked a, a proper follow-up question which is, okay, um, how did you prepare and how are you going to change your preparation? Um, and he said, well, I, I'm almost forgetting the first thing he said, um, but he said that he didn't feel very well, he didn't feel healthy, and then the big red flag was he said, I was rusty. And that, I couldn't believe that that came out of his mouth. I, I was shocked because one of the biggest insults you can possibly – one of the worst questions you can ask a tennis player after not playing for a while and then if they lose, you ask them if they were rusty. If you want to insult a tennis player, ask them if they were rusty after losing a match because that is a total disrespect and disregard for all the hours of hard work and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of balls that they hit on the practice court every day. To ask a tennis player if they are rusty is, is, should never be asked. So for Djokovic to say that word, for that word rust to come out of his mouth, oh, I remember the first thing he said now. He said there were too many things off the court. Too many things off the court, didn't feel healthy, Rust. Wow. Why did Novak Djokovic look like a player who wasn't prepared to play these two tournaments? Well, to me, that's your answer. Because he didn't prepare to play these two tournaments. 
and I don't know this. This is not reporting. This is not this is not source journalism. I'm not in his camp. But to combine the fact that he didn't look very fit and that there were a lot of distractions off the court and then for him to say to, for him to confirm that part that there were too many things off the court to to mention his preparation and then to use that word rust that's all i need that's all i need where i'm just telling you what i'm thinking i'm thinking that novak djokovic did not train very much after winning the australian open maybe i'm dead wrong and some of you will say well that's an excuse Gil, stop making excuses for Djokovic. That is not an excuse. That is not an excuse. Because if that's that's just that's like saying that someone's forehand isn't very good and that's an excuse. That's an explanation, not an excuse. An excuse is it was very windy. Or an excuse is, well, I didn't get my, you know, my racket stringer strung my, the tension too tight. Those are excuses. I wasn't in shape. He wasn't in shape because he didn't prepare very well for these tournaments, which is something that, I mean, again, I would never say this without his help. I would never come to this conclusion without his help. And by the way, he needed to be pushed to a point where he could say that because to say I wasn't prepared takes credit away takes credit away from the opponent which Djokovic tries very hard not to do he doesn't want to take credit away from RBA he doesn't want to take credit away from Cole Schreiber so he's he's quite graceful you know generally in in trying very hard to not admit these things but but you can see about five minutes into this press conference, after being pressed and pressed and pressed on it, he admitted he used the word rust. He said he wasn't feeling well physically, which was clear he wasn't feeling well physically because he was he was out of breath. He didn't have the strength. He didn't have the endurance. Um, and yeah, politically, there's been a lot going on, but who knows what else has been going on? And, and who knows... Um, exactly what's happening off the court but if you're gonna ask me with a with a gun to my head what 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 happened here i would probably tell you well what probably happened is djokovic didn't prepare enough for these tournaments and no one is above that i don't care if you're nadal or if you're Federer or if you're djokovic if you let yourself get a little bit out of shape because you you know s skip some skip some training things aren't going to go well for you so i don't know um that's that when i say out of shape remember i'm saying out of shape when it comes to the most elite level of tennis in the entire earth Novak Djokovic is in world-class shape. He is still a high level. Even, even, even if he didn't play for two weeks, he could come back and be a top 100 player. But he could not win Miami. He could not win Indian Wells. 
he could lose to really good players like RBA and Philip Kohlschreiber if, if, if he didn't train enough, you know? And that's where I stand. Okay. Um, let's get to the next story. First of all, I want to say um, when it comes to the next gen that the, um, the structure of the tour is shifting. We are seeing that happen. And a lot of people don't want to admit that. Number one, two, and three, ATP race to London this season. Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. So you guys say, oh my God, the next gen still isn't any good. Well, you're ignoring 95% of the tour, if that's what, if, if that's what your opinion is. Because what's happening is now the next-gen players are starting to beat everyone else. And yeah, they're not winning the big matches. They're not winning the big titles. Dominic Team is too old. He is not next-gen, so don't, don't give me that. Um, the, the teenagers, the 21-year-olds, they have not taken, they have not overtaken the big three. That does not mean that we haven't begun to see a shift on the ATP World Tour. If you look at the guys, if, if, if you just look at the players who didn't lose in the first round, didn't lose in the second round, didn't lose in the third round, but made the second week of this tournament, and if you looked at the consistency at which the next gen did that, Karen Hatchinov lost early, but, but he made it to the second week um, at Indian Wells. But you had FAA, you had Borna Chorich, you had Nick Kyrgios, you had Daniil Medvedev, you had Stefano Tsitsipas, you had Denis Shapovalov, you had Francis Tiafo. All in the round of 16. That is a, that is most of the next gen in the round of 16 of a Masters 1000s title. That would not have happened six months ago. And slowly, we see the main competitors for the big three shifting. It's no longer Kevin Anderson and Marin Cilic and Milos Raonic, or to a lesser extent, Kane Shikori, um, Vavrinka and Del Potro, different cases, coming back from injury and um, could still do some damage. But more and more often, instead of Federer and Nadal Djokovic having to beat your Marin Ciliches of the world in order to make that final or in order to win big titles, they're having to beat the next gen. And they are beating them. But the fact that the next gen is making it that far is a shift. And it's something. Specifically, Denis Shapovalov, Felix Ojealiasim. One thing I want to point out is they train in Florida. So if you followed me on Twitter, um, this is one one prediction that I made was that Shapovalov and Felix were going to be very dangerous this week because they're very they're used to the humidity in Florida and the humidity is a terrible terrible beast. I've experienced it myself. I am a New Yorker. I've went down to Florida to play tournaments and the Floridians can breathe and I can't. And that that that's a major thing. And they're also used to the court conditions because generally um, at the IMG Academy, but anytime you're uh, generally, the hard courts will be will play very similarly 
when you're in similar geographic locations. Um, so these guys are used to the courts. They're used to the conditions. Denis Shapovalov, the biggest improvement he's made um, is, in my opinion, his fitness. It's improved his shot making late in rallies. It's enabled him to practice a little bit more patience, a little bit more margin. And his exceptional shot making is still on display. And I think he's serving a bit better. So Shapo is making the improvements he needs to make, and it was good to see him uh, have such a strong week. Felix is a different animal because he doesn't he checks off every single box. He doesn't have the holes. He reminds me of the great players in history in the respect where he's elite at so many different things, and it's very hard to pick out a weakness. And I've talked about this at length. Um, his his combination of having of being a great athlete, of having a great forehand and a great backhand, and returning well and serving well and volleying well, and um, it's it's a very rare thing. So I think this this rise will continue. And to address the Isner match, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. He double faults too much. Period. It doesn't matter if it's serving for the set, if it's in a big-time nervous moment. Do I think nerves played, played a role? Yes. But right now, he double faults too much. I think he'll get over it because I think his serve technically is a beautiful is a thing of beauty. I don't know why he double faults so much. It, it's puzzling to me. But the fact that he broke Isner four times, the fact that the match was on his racket, this is a point I want to make. That's incredibly impressive. In fact... When's the last time Felix has lost and the match hasn't been on his racket? When's the last time he's been on the court with someone and he hasn't looked like the better player? When's the last time he hasn't simply beaten himself? Well, what's going to happen when he figures out how to be more consistent, when he matures a little bit and he stops beating himself, what's going to happen? He's going to start winning and winning and winning some more. So nothing but positive takeaways for uh, FAA this week. Let me get to the comments now. Very exciting. Drinking a nice latte. Um, okay. Top comment has 17 likes. It is from Nathaniel Riestu. Um... Uh, Hey Gil, Nadal fan here, but I can't get past the fact that Rafa has not won a match in which he wasn't the clear favorite in the last few years. Lost last five meetings with Federer and hasn't won against Djokovic since 2013 on any surface other than clay. What's your take on this? Does Rafa have a mental toughness issue? Thanks. Love your show. Keep it up. I'm a big fan from Indonesia. Uh, thank you for that. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I understand this concern. This this should be a concern if you're a Rafa fan. I would be concerned about how he came out when it comes to the mental toughness. That's what I want to address first. I would be quite concerned about how he came out in the Australian Open final uh, because he he looked pretty pretty overcome with nerves when he came out for that final. And yeah, that's concerning. Because I think that as players age, generally their nerves get, get worse. 
And for Nadal, I mean, it was just, it was pretty, it was pretty darn bad in that match, how nervous he was. And then by the time that his nerves settled down, it was really too late. And Djokovic was already at this uh, stratospheric level that Nadal wasn't really going to be able to touch. Um, with Feder, a lot came in the same season. Feder figured, figured Nadal out in that season. And I would say, give Nadal a chance now that it's been a, a long time since his last meeting with Feder. Give Nadal a chance now to... Let's. I, I would want to see that, hap, that that match happen again because Nadal is is really he's a different player than he was in 2017, and and so so is Federer. So four of those five meetings again they were they were very tight bunched together, um, and I think that that deserves to be recognized. Uh, the Djokovic thing, yeah. I mean, I think I've I've outlined why I think that it's a bad tactical back tactical matchup for Nadal, and that is a big concern. Um, Nadal, Nadal, Nadal needs a win over one of those two really badly. So the biggest thing I can say about this comment is that it's a good point, and it's a very valid concern. On the mental toughness front, it's, it's tough to say, because I, I would rather take an individual match, uh, a match-by-match -match basis. The last time we saw him against Djokovic, yeah, there was, there was, a, mental, there was a mental problem where he, he, was, he, was, he psyched himself out a little bit. Um, next one. Uh, Nikhil Tanwar. Which, according to you, is the most important aspect in Nadal's game that has brought him so much success on clay? How is he 6-1 up against Djokovic at Roland Garros and 5-0 up against Roger at Roland Garros? What sets him apart? Great question. Um, a couple things. One, the way he attacks. There are five ways to attack. You've heard this before. Let me say it again because it's probably been a while. These are all the ways you can break your opponent's contact point. Depth. Width. Pace, time, and height. Some of these different things work better on different surfaces. On clay, pace doesn't work very well. Time doesn't work very well. Um, because the court slows down the ball when it bounces. It slows it down a lot. Here's what does work well. Attacking with height and attacking with width. Um, because on clay, the ball slows down. Generally, uh, you have more time to brush up on the ball more, to get more topspin, to create more angles. And it doesn't matter what court you're on, plus the, plus the, the big bounce will accentuate the angle even more. It doesn't matter what court you're on, angle still works. And again, when the ball is at a slower speed, it's a little bit easier to create those angles. Height is a great attack on clay because the ball bounces higher. So Rafa can attack with height. Um, depth is something that Djokovic loves to attack with. Nadal generally doesn't hit with very good depth. Well, guess what? On clay, when players play a little bit further back, Djokovic's depth isn't as deadly. 
and Nadal's lack of depth because of the higher bounce doesn't hurt as much. So that's the first thing, the way Nadal's able to attack. Here's the, th- the second thing. Let me compare, let me speak to Federer and then speak to Djokovic. Nadal against Federer has better shot tolerance um, and better consistency. And for Federer, it's harder to, to finish points and attack Nadal um, and play quick strike tennis on clay. Nadal wins because he has he can outlast Federer. He has better consistency. He has better shot tolerance. He has better endurance within a rally. If if they're going to play thirty shots, you know, which is more likely on clay, and I'm exaggerating because most rallies won't be thirty shots. But if it's going to be a battle of consistency from the back, um. Who can slug it out? Who can be the le- the first one to not miss? Nadal's going to win that battle against Federer. Against Djokovic, I think it's a matter of the same thing. One, Djokovic has to. I think court position plays a big part against Djokovic because Nadal can defend from the back and attack from the back on clay. Djokovic has to move. Um, has to move up and down the court. He can't, he doesn't really have the pop to attack from the back. He can defend from the back, but you see, he can't do both. So Rafa, it it suits him better. Uh, I I can't, I'd like to expand on that another time, but I'm going to leave it at that for now. Our friend in Terry and Terry, um, he says, Last week, I asked you about the lowest, highest level who had that, uh, which was Nadal. Now this week, my question is, who has the highest level that you have ever seen? Uh, For me personally, it's Novak. No player is unplayable like Novak when he is on fire. Yes, I know Federer and Nadal are pretty crazy good as well when they are on fire. But according to me, Novak's highest, highest level is higher than Rafa's and Federer's. Now I want to hear your opinion, and thanks for an amazing show like always. Thanks to Terry and Terry. Um... Once again, two for two. I agree with Terry and Terry. And I've, I've actually had this question before and I've answered it before. But uh, my answer is 2011 Novak Djokovic uh, because I think that he here's, – here's what I think is better. Uh, I'm not going to go through Novak Djokovic's game and why it's good. I'm not going to do that. What I will do is I'll tell you why Djokovic in 2011 would have beaten Djokovic from now. Two things. One – he was a cardio machine like no other. And Rafa came pretty close um, to being as, as good a cardio machine as Djokovic. But I think we saw in the 2012 Australian Open final that Djokovic is, was really next level in this period in his career from a cardio perspective. So we could go literally, literally all day to the point where, and his defense was so good, it was literally like, how am I going to win this point? This guy does just, I mean, this guy won't miss and I can't hit it past him. So how the heck am I supposed to win? <laughs> um, that, that's, that's a deadly combination. So Djokovic, when he was playing um, kind of a, a, a grind, a grinded out style, was so incredible because of his cardio and his consistency. Uh, but his fitness was next level. But I thought he had more pop back then too. I thought that when he had a, a, a forehand that he was looking to attack from the back of the court, I think he got more zip on especially his forehand back then. 
Um, and that's why I feel like his level at that point was the highest ever. And look, you can just look at the head-to-head. Djokovic in this period was beating Federer and Nadal. And Federer and Nadal at this point, you could say they were out of their primes. Um, but, I mean, they they were, uh, I mean, they, they weren't mid-30s. That's for sure. I mean, at this point, uh, Federer was in his early 30s and Nadal wasn't much above 30, if he was above 30 at all. I'm I'm bad with ages and numbers and stuff, but uh, yeah, it's Djokovic. Okay, now I'm going to start doing rapid fire. Do you see a difference in Federer's backhand this season? Backhand looks good. Backhand looks good, especially the return. I don't know if it's 2017 good, but better than 2018. Uh, obviously, FAA has tremendous potential, but do you think he will be able to contend for majors before he turns 20? Um, I think Joe, I'm not going to read the rest of this. I'm just going to say um, yes, because that's two years. And based on how quickly he's improving, I think FAA will be contending for majors. This guy's special. This guy, this guy's above the rest. Um, I I can say things about Felix's game that I can't I can't say about Tsitsipas and Zverev and and the others. Uh, what do you think about FAA's performance at Miami? How do you think he will perform on clay over the next couple months in Roland Garros? He should be good on pretty much all three surfaces. Now, the, the movement on grass might take him a while. Clay right now could be his best surface. Uh, he can hit through a clay court. He, can, he also has the athleticism to make it very difficult on opponents to, to uh, hit through him on a clay court and he can use his his um, defensive skills and he has pretty spinny ground strokes so the clay will help him out there I wouldn't worry about Joker at this point in his career winning majors and staying healthy for for them is top priority sure yeah I mean Djokovic can can get can be I mentioned that you know maybe he's out of shape Roland Garros is not soon where he's at right now may have no bearing on where he's at in two months so I, I somewhat agree with that. Dark horses for the clay season. Monfils, if he's healthy, is the first guy to come to mind. Um, you're, and then, I don't know, is, is Felix a dark horse? Because I think he'll be ready to go and, uh, and possibly make runs right away. Next Gen, by the way, isn't too strong on clay overall. So I don't think, I'm trying to think uh, kind of outside of those guys. Um, Maybe Stan, maybe Stan at this point is a dark horse because it's been a while since he's contended. Hi, Gil. How deep do you think Roger can go in the clay tournaments he's entering? Very deep. I think he can go very deep. I just don't think he's going to win big matches. Uh, Novak looks even more lighter in the upper body now. Do you think this could be a factor on clay? I think it might be hard for him to hit through opponents. Yeah, I think when I, – I actually do. I think Djokovic has shown – to have a little bit of trouble outside of the inc- extraordinarily fast courts in Melbourne. It, it seems like Djokovic is having a little bit of trouble generating offense, and it seems like there's not too much pop in his ground strokes. Um, I haven't actually noticed that he's been thinner in his upper body, but all in all, I think that that's the number one concern tactically for Djokovic. Do I think the bigger concerns are mental and have to do with motivation and distraction and focus? Yes, those are the top concerns. Top concerns with Djokovic's tennis on clay. Is he hitting the ball hard enough? 
to attack effectively. Um, regarding mental coaching, um, to help survive, do you think a player can artificially create a nothing to lose mental state as part of mental coaching? Great question. Uh, a nothing to lose mentality is the question. Do you think that that can be coached? I think the answer is clearly not because players seem to get into this mindset organically. Federer in early 2017, Zverev at the end of 2018 when he was he was PO'd that he was even playing and he didn't even care about the World Tour Finals and then he won it and played the best tennis. I haven't seen anyone really able to accomplish this mentality um, without the pitfalls. So Kyrgios has this mentality. Nothing to lose. I mean, he plays so loose. He's, he's loose as a goose. No nerves. But he has the double-edged sword where at the same time he's not focused. I have never seen anyone have a nothing-to-lose mentality on the tennis court. That means they don't feel nerves, don't feel pressure, without having a lack of focus. Um, last one. Why can't Rafa fire a shot at Novak on any surface other than clay? Is it more so his... Uh, so I guess I've already answered this. Um, okay. That is all we have time for. This was a fun show. Um... Got, got to a lot of uh, major topics here, and I have a feeling that it'll be a lively comment section. Hope you enjoyed, everyone. I might be off next week. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.